head on over to patreon.com forward slash severe podcast right now to support the podcast and sign up for our premium content and now here's the podcast graham mcdonald is an idiot sean sheehan of severemma.com he even has the audacity to call himself the quote-unquote pod god this is Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. Severe MMA. The Severe MMA podcast is finally here. Welcome, welcome everybody. It's episode 267 of the Severe MMA podcast. My name is Sean Sheehan, a.k.a. The quarantine god, the pod god, anything like that. Joined today by the Michael Bisping of Irish MMA Media, Graham McDonald, as we talk about a uh, pretty interesting night of fights last night, actually. In, yeah, uh, your intro sounded very unsure there. You, 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 you didn't seem to know where you were going with that one, or am I reading too much into it? Oh, what was wrong the with quarantine god. Yeah. That seemed uh, unplanned. <laughs> I've, I've said that like 10 times before. You haven't been listening to the podcast, no? No, no, no. I don't yeah. listen to you most of the time. <laughs> You're better off, actually. You're 100% better off. Any crack with you, anyway? I, look, we'll obviously, we'll talk about Liverpool, but maybe we leave it to the end of the podcast because people will... Just because people will get angry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll leave it to the end of the podcast. We'll give you a due warning before we do it at the end of the podcast, but uh, I assume you've had a good week, have you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk about it at the end of the podcast. Uh, right, let's talk about the, the fights and a bit of a mental. Before we get into the card itself, I was talking to the. Oh, actually, as well, if you want to sign up patreon.com forward slash severe my podcast, we'll be starting the. We're, the, the lads have organised a fantasy league amongst themselves. Very, uh, Thomas Laney, Ian O'Neill, and the boys have done it. And everyone, we have like this Patreon group. I think there's four places left, but we can have a few more. So if anyone's signed up to Patreon at the moment, uh, give me an email and I'll forward on to the lads, uh, severe my podcast at gmail.com. And if anyone new wants to sign up, we'll, we'll be starting, I think, in July at some stage. I'll, I'll tweet out the exact date or whatever or put it up on Patreon. So if you want to sign up, patreon.com forward slash severe my podcast. And it's a bit of crack. It's uh, fun anyway. But anyway, I was talking to those lads during the week and uh i feel like i've never i've never seen a card fly under the radar maybe as much as this even though like the main event was a very good card uh but if like i mean there's no sport on at the moment much well soccer's after coming back and stuff but in america there's no nfl there's no nba or anything like that like i feel like mma <laughs> there's MMA at the moment, right? I, I was looking at, I, you know, I go through the MMA fighting or MMA junkie or whatever, kind of looking for news stories before we do the podcast every week. And I was looking at it, and like some of the news stories on both websites and other places as well, like John Jones says he um, he he won't come back unless he's given the proper money he's planned plan to sit out. Masvidal saying similar sort of things. You know, McGregor retired and all that. And I talked about it in the Q&A and maybe on the podcast as well last week that, no, MMA is about entertainment as much as it's about sport. And for a lot of people, they tune in. Like maybe we would tune into the boxing for the big fights. You know, we're not watching the up and coming, you know, welterweights in the world. They might be fantastic. You know, they might be the likes of whoever we have in in MMA. You know, like like a Magomed Sharapov or whoever it might be coming up. That you know, the hardcores know, but the the are the, the yeah the hardcores know, but the casuals wouldn't know. And I feel like in MMA with all the kind of like Diaz as well, Ronda Rousey gone, GSP gone. 
there's really no one at the moment, Brock Lesnar, there's no one at the moment who is drawing in those people, and not even drawing in those people, but making it unbelievably exciting for us. Like, I'm excited by the, the young up-and-comers coming, like Sean Woodson fighting last night, we'll get to that and stuff, but I feel like that entertainment part of MMA with the... MMA is always going to be entertaining as two people having a fist fight, but you know what I mean? Like the big entertainment that draws, you know, draws our feelings into it, and we really want to be part of it. And you know, maybe the, the fight last night got to give us a bit of that. But do you like? Do you feel the same thing? Do you feel that like that's a problem that we don't have that in MMA at the moment? Yeah, well, I think like over the years it kind of goes into these lulls where it looks like oh, there's a few stars, and then it kind of goes into these lulls. But it, it seems to always come back. Like people come out of nowhere and kind of become become stars like but becoming a star and becoming like ronda or, or mcgregor is, is is different like you know a star in mma and a, and a star outside mma or being a star in mma like they come and go but these like transcendent ones that can that can get people emotionally invested by ronda rousey being on like ellen or or whatever mm-hmm. like that's extremely rare like and i don't think I don't think there's any, well, like you know, you never know. But like looking at the the, the roster, and nobody really pops to mind as who's going to be able to kind of do that. But you never know when when like people come out of nowhere, and you know, as you mentioned, people like uh, Sharapov, maybe like he doesn't have the the media side of it. But you know, the, I, I, nobody's coming to mind. But there could be somebody there that like you know is just an uh, an uncut diamond, ready to go. Like, but. As you said, it doesn't really. Nobody's really standing out at the moment. Everybody seems to be kind of on the the latter stage of their career. All the the big stars are already gone. Yeah, but I, I don't know. Did like okay, we have so we have a few emerging. Like Habib has probably emerged over the last couple of years, especially with the thing with McGregor and Adesanya as well. But and Adesanya is probably the only one who kind of around there. But he still had kind of proved himself as a draw. He's proved himself as a fighter, no doubt. And Habib doesn't really fight that often. Obviously, his father is sick at the moment, so he probably won't be fighting for yeah, it. But, but I, like, I mean, where you were talking about about the the, the one that kept people emotionally invested or hyped or whatever yeah. it's like bigger than just uh, like Dustin Poirier versus Hooker there's a brilliant absolutely brilliant fight but how many people were actually watching it live you know mm-hmm. uh, like it is it is hard like you know uh, people like John Jones like he's one of the biggest stars and he's drawing like what is he drawing on average like 500,000 or less about that yeah but like, yeah, so like even <laughs> even that though, I think the thing is, you know, you said they're coming towards the end of their career, but are like are they though? Like John Jones is nowhere near the end of his career, I don't think. Like he I know he came in young and MMA careers can be cut down, but he hasn't taken that much damage and done that much. Like McGregor, okay, he's a bit different because of the amount of money he's earned and all and the way he's been fighting recently is, is you know, fighting very irregularly. Uh but like he's what McGregor's thirty two, like he could fight for a good while longer. It's not like he's in the last couple of years of his career if he wanted to, you know, maybe he maybe you know he's retired maybe he'll never fight again like Habib is is not there like Masvidal is another one who's kind of emerged over the last while but we've kind of lost him as well and it's like the if you look at like the welterweight title fight coming up Usman versus Gilbert Burns a, a good fight like we all want to see it no problem seeing that but like a he, like heavyweight let's say if Jones is gone they're making a, a title fight there's like, uh, like it is a, it is a good time now yeah. where, as you said without the NBA without all this stuff if there was going to be like somebody the UFC think they can push and turn into a star now is the time to do it because there's more eyes there's more you know media or more like TV program sports program space for they need content because nothing's really happening like is it not the perfect but, time to have someone like a John Jones fight right like, it's a little bit McGregor. John Jones DC trilogy or they had a John Jones moving up 
the, the heavyweight that would I think that would draw the, the yeah. outside interest outside of our bubble it, it see the thing is right okay you can understand them not wanting McGregor to fight now because he draws such a huge gate like nobody else in the history of the sport but say someone like John Jones like we need to remember as well that it was the Tony Ferguson Gaethje fight wasn't it that drew huge numbers on pay-per-view uh, allegedly <laughs> you know um in, in the middle of quarantine, in the middle of this, like, okay, it might be a little bit different because America isn't taking it seriously anymore, uh, uh, according to reports, but there's still people in their homes. People aren't going out as much as they were. And if you had someone like John Jones, he could, like, draw big and it wouldn't be as bad that there's no one in the crowd there. Like, I feel like the UFC, okay, they could earn a lot of money doing that and they could drive on the sport, as you said. Like, people would watch it. People would tune in and watch it right now. And I feel like that's a little bit of a mistake they'd made, just not wanting to pay them more. And look, we've talked about paying fighters more all the time. They should be paying fighters more all the time. But, like, I think it's a really a win-win for the UFC if they did something like that because it makes the sport more exciting for the casuals uh, coming into it. It makes it more exciting for the hardcores. You get you know additional fans onto it who are seeing the best in the world. And maybe it's another thing we'll talk about in a second about the, the kind of lower quality cards at the moment but I feel like I feel like the UFC are just missing a trick here by not t- okay taking the side well, of like, one of know, the fighters paying them more yeah like when Frank Fertitta was like running things like instead of you know Disney and ESPN or whatever yeah. or Endeavor he was like a passionate fight fan who wanted to see big fights like you know he went out of his way to try and pay too much for Fedor to come and fight you know there's yeah. examples of him paying out of what he probably thought was the odds anyway just because he wanted these fights to happen he want like you know he wanted these mm-hmm. big fights but now now it's more like a lot of investors involved it's more of a a bottom line thing I'd say and it's probably they're probably thinking it's a dangerous precedent to set like start paying people more because it's already kind of with paying like the the McGregor's the Diaz's the people like that more uh, has already made people like Masvidal and say here I'm not until you pay me more so that's probably what they're thinking but I agree with you I think especially now with more eyes on, on like you know doesn't people have more time to to watch these things and get hyped about these things it'd be the John jo- John Jones is probably the, the obvious one to use, and you could use him in a couple of capacities, like the DC fight. Okay, that has a lot of good promo footage you can run back from from years ago. Brilliant, brilliant promo footage, and then you have obviously John Jones finally stepping up to heavyweight if he would do it and fighting like for example in Ngannou or something that's like that would be huge mm-hmm. yeah and then, like they had that in their grasp. If, if, if Ngannou goes and knocks out John Jones, then you know it's it's huge for Ngannou and like yeah great division everybody loves the heavyweights uh outside of the mma uh hardcore bubble yeah and then they have obviously steep versus dc coming up as well and Ngannou imagine if he beat jones and then was facing one of them for the heavyweight title like imagine how huge that fight would be after uh Ngannou knocked out jones and even if jones beat Ngannou how huge that fight would be after like there's there's a couple of huge whatever happens after that fight you're getting huge fights again and it's I don't know, they're just kind of missing out on it a little bit it but. seems like it was more there would have been more attempts to make stuff like that happen like if if the fatitas were still around yeah. you know what i mean sure. uh, do you, do I you think, think that's the part of Joe maybe as well like i i haven't mentioned Joseph in a while yeah. but uh you know maybe he'd be pushing for these matchups and they have more kind of trust in his judgment uh, or lorenzo would than like you know these bottom line investors yeah do you see there's been a lot of stuff talked about joe silva in the last week like saying that he kind of had vendettas against people and there were people giving out about him and and different things like i saw a manager i'm not sure who it was saying like that's kind of joe silva's job to be like hard line on you and uh, like i understand that obviously there's it doesn't uh it doesn't allow you to be a dickhead or whatever but like you've spoken about joe silva before and i, I like 
I think you made the great point, and it's definitely changed over the last while. The matchmaking has changed. Like we, I don't think in the Joe Silva era, unless he hated one of the people, there was a few people have come out and said we'd see guys who like lost the big fight get immediately thrown back into another big fight, and not kind of built back up because he kind of understood to do that game. And I'm not saying that Mick Maynard and Sean Shelby don't understand. I'm sure they do, but I'm sure there's lots of different pressures now to put big, you know, big names or big up and coming names into big fights immediately and keep doing it. So it's. You know, and you know, one point I want before we move on from this, you made a great point there. You know that lads have seen the likes of McGregor and Diaz fighting to get more money, and now they're doing the same. I wonder is this kind of a time for the UFC to say, right, we're going to try to pull back on that a bit. We're going to be losing money anyway because of the the lack of crowds and everything like that. So we're going to kind of fight against this, and we're not going to let it overtake us. And if we have to let John Jones sit out for a year, he's going to come crawling back. If we have to let Masvidal sit out for a year, he's going to come crawling back. These guys are in contracts. If they are offered fights and they don't take it, it puts another six months onto their contract or whatever. It's not just you you can sit out and wait two years and your contract is up and you can go. That's not the way it works. The contracts are lengthened if you don't uh, accept fights. So it feels like the UFC are playing games here with the fighters. And in that situation, it's very rare, very rare that the fighters win it. So I hope they do, but I, I think it's uh, I think it's rare. Um, but yeah, let's. I I tweeted out some one of the fight. best fights what? in recent recent memory happened to me. Still haven't even. even yeah. Even All right. Well, let's talk, talk about, about that. So come here before we get into the fight. The rating. What rating do you t- like? I think this is <sighs> high eights. Let's say eight point yeah. seven, eight point eight, eight point seven. Uh, like. Yeah, that's a very, very professional score. Like I was my my like what I'm thinking here is eight point nine or nine point one. Like I think it was that good. I think it was a fantastic fight. Like my scale is nine because it's a rookie score, is it? No, I can't I can't give it a nine. Nine's a rookie <laughs> score, yeah. So like it's it's a fight where it's is it one of the best fights of the year? Undoubtedly. Is it one of the best fights of all time? No, and that, that that's yeah. been very very harsh. I don't want to say anything negative about this fight because it was so brilliant. But like, it's one of the best fights of the year. But I don't think it was up there with say Adesanya, Gaslam, Jones, Gustafson. Uh, and I think the reason for that was it was so good for the first two rounds because they just went fucking balls to the wall, and then they kind of got tired. It wasn't as good in the last three, but it was still very very good. So eight point nine is my score. I think I think it's fight of the year quality, but not quite. Greatest fight of all time quality, but take absolutely nothing away from it. Was a, it was a fantastic fight. Uh, yeah. Look back on it though, outside of it, like in a few weeks or a few months from when you might, mm. it might go up or it might go down. It's, it is always hard to judge, like against other historic fights in in the in the initial aftermath. Yeah, it definitely is. Yeah, I I, I always found that. And I try to think about it afterwards, just immediately afterwards, try to think back on what actually happened in the fight rather than kind of getting caught up in it and like my the first thing i kind of that came to mind for me was Poirier actually maybe won a little bit clearer than it seemed at the time watching it like well the first round did you have the first round for Poirier? yeah i didn't but like i feel like right i i cheated and i didn't shouldn't do what um what what i did what, what judges do like if i was a judge and i was sitting there and i was handing up my card i would have given it to paria and i would have had it 4-1 paria but i kind of changed my mind halfway through and i shouldn't have done that and i gave it 3-2 to hooker but it was very close what did you think of the first round you you had a 3-2 to hooker no no i had 3-2 to paria sorry but i was oh, yeah. would have given it 4-1 to paria yeah. yeah okay yeah 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 I thought the first round like it was extremely close but uh, I, I don't know I just uh, I'd have to watch it back I only watched it once but I, I thought Poirier edged it then obviously Hooker won the second round mm-hmm. 
and then then I had uh, Parier all the all the rest of the way through. There was yeah. a rogue ten eight in there somewhere. Wasn't there there was there. the four round. I, the four round was like I was I watched back a bit of it. And did he not on top a couple of times landing a little nothing special or anything? But he did enough to not be completely dominated. Yeah, but do you remember that four round the end of it where Paria was just like landing huge shots in him and I, like it's it he dominated it and. But Hooker wasn't coming back. Like I thought it was a ten nine personally, but I don't think if a ten eight there is is a terrible score. Like if, when we get, I was talking to someone about it before. When we get to um, fourth and fifth rounds of big fights like that, especially when they're insane, we kind of we kind of lose all semblance of reality when it comes to judging and things at times. And that the judges don't, can't do that. So you know, it's it was one. I think it was a borderline one. I think it would have been. I think it should have been ten ten and nine, but. I'd have to go back and watch it in, in full again. But watching it back, a, a little bit of it, it was like, yeah, maybe maybe it was a 10-8. But, like, I, I don't think it really really mattered too much anyway. But, like, th- this was a fight to me that showed the brilliance of Dustin Poirier and how much he's improved. Like, we talk about Dustin Poirier before, and he he used to be, to me, what, I remember I did a rewatch there recently. I think it was the Korean zombie fight where Poirier kind of got caught up in different parts of the fight and then got tired and you know McGregor used to say about his chin you hit him once a gush of wind to blow him over and he went and he knocked him out Paria has kind of dispelled all of those things right he's a great chin now he doesn't he doesn't really get knocked out anymore uh he can keep he's like I don't think there's any fighter in the UFC with a better second win than Dustin Paria because at the end of the was it the second round he looked fucked I thought he was done like I genuinely thought he can't come back from this he's just thrown so much there's not more he can do and he got that unbelievable second win like he won the third but in the fourth I thought uh his second win completely kicked in and he looked fantastic again um, and like he, he finds ways to win. He's he's just the will of Dustin Poirier is to me is so fantastic. And like I tweeted afterwards, I want to see him fight McGregor again. And it's the first time I've kind of wanted to see him fight McGregor, even though I'm a huge fan of Dustin Poirier. I, I think I uh, you know I, I don't know how to pick him to be to be, but I picked him to be Max. I think he's a very good fighter. I re- I'm a real fan of his skills. I think he's brilliant. And I, like I think last night he proved as well. And he had a torn labrum as well, which we talked about before, which is a fucking horrendous fucking injury. And to come back and win a fight like that, but like I think. Dustin Poirier, 11 years as a pro, never lost two fights in a row, came back from a good while out after losing to Habib in the biggest fight of his life, and to put on a performance like that, which is not just like uh, a domination or like a clinical performance, it was one that he had to dig deep, he had to, you know, reach down into the <laughs> into his stomach and, and fight from it, and he fucking won that fight against Hooker, a guy who does the same, like a guy who will fight till the bitter end and he did that last night and uh, I was very impressed with both of them but especially especially Dustin Poirier what do you think? Yeah like uh, when Hooker was landing a lot of kind of leg kicks and calf kicks earlier you were thinking oh th- if this goes later and you know these these rounds are close it might swing Hooker's way but as you said Poirier just got like you know he just poured it on and just had the, the cardio and the, and the second wind mm-hmm. to to basically outwork uh, Hooker Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you mentioned about his chin. Maybe that was, you know, people talk about cutting weight, cutting too much weight, and yeah. water on the brain and all that stuff. Because yeah, as you mentioned, since he went to one fifty five, there hasn't really been much trouble with his chin. Like you know, the times that he has taken big, like the times that he has gone down, he has taken like shots that will put you down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, yeah, um, I don't know what that is. That must be like I don't know. Just popped in my head that that's probably probably what uh, could easily be weight cut related. 
Um, yeah, but I thought Hooker, you know, he had a good game plan. He, yeah, he was fighting. He was fighting the long fight um, early, and like you know, he he landed some big shots as well. And um, on another day, maybe you know, he he, he could have the momentum could have went a different way. Like um, I think he did a little bit better than I than I expected. I couldn't agree more. A hundred percent. Like. It, it, this is another one of these fights where the fight started and I couldn't believe how much bigger Hooker was than Poirier. I just wasn't expecting that. You know, with both of them having fought at uh, at one forty five, and like Poirier is not uh, not a small guy by any means. And like as you said earlier, that leg kicks and the jab, especially I know people are kind of getting caught up in the leg pick kicks, but I thought his jab was very good. And we know Poirier; we've seen him in the past. We talked about it over and over in the podcast that his jab is his probably his best weapon. His boxing, his one twos are fantastic. But Hooker won that battle early, and he was landing, but. but Poria, Poria started to just throw bombs <laughs> like at, at some point in the first round and into the second round. He was just there was just smashing each other. And at the end of that second round as well, um, Hooker had him against the cage and he was just beating him to the body. And it like there was a bit as well where it maybe looked worse, having watched back little clips of it, it looked worse than it actually was. A bit a bit like Diaz versus McGregor, where Diaz hit him against the cage was at the end of the third round, maybe in the second fight. Uh, and he wasn't landing as much, but uh, you know, Hooker was still definitely landing, but Paria landed some huge fucking bombs. It reminded me of that uh, Nathaniel Woods, um, uh, Josh, what's his name? Josh, Josh, Josh. Oh, I can't think of it. The one in Cage Warriors, anyway, already got knocked out, but it was um, it was brilliant. It was absolutely fantastic in that second round. And Paria was winning on the feet. Josh Reed, uh, was it? Josh Reed, that was it. Yeah, that was it. Almost got the guillotine as well, Paria in the third, and. He won the ground. He won the fight from the bottom, throwing elbows. So, if people want to criticize judging and say you can't win a fight from the bottom, Paria absolutely won this uh, round from the bottom. He threw elbows. Hooker did almost nothing. And this is a great example of position not winning the fight. It's what you do with it. It's effective grappling, which he had with almost. Yeah, go on. It doesn't happen that much. It reminded me of kind of Neil Seary, probably because he's yeah. Irish as well. But he won a fight against Beale, I believe it was Chris Beale. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it was spent uh, <laughs> with Neil Neil Seary on his back, but he was just doing the damage. And you know, uh, like as the criteria says, you need to, like you can get somebody down, but if unless you do something offensive or impactful with it, then it doesn't count for anything. Mm-hmm. hundred. That's exactly it. And like when we talk about effective grappling as well, it's forcing the opponent to defend it's it's not like effective grappling is not just passing guard and laying there in half guard or laying there in side control you need to do something with it you need to attack with submissions and make those be you know for those submissions to be something that exactly what Poria's guillotine was he was choking him choking him choking him and he managed to survive and then elbows from the bottom obviously the the effective striking in the fourth then Poria got that big second win landed lots of shots absolutely brilliant and in the like the fifth round I thought was that Poria won it but it was it was relatively close they were just both so tired it was was unbelievable but i think in maybe in the towards the end of the third round no well in in the fourth round actually because he spent a lot of it on the ground and in the third i think paria's jab started to to take over and hooker as you said he wasn't throwing the leg kicks as much anymore he definitely wasn't throwing the jab as much and paria like it's i think it's more natural for paria to fight that game than it is for hooker because paria has been fighting that game now for a long long time especially at a high level especially in the fourth and fifth rounds of fights and i think uh i think that kind of kicked in for him when it kicked out for hooker and that was the difference i think i was i think it was just that extra high level um 
ability an extra high level uh you know he's just done it for for so long and uh, done it so many times like grabaki hitman put up a list of people that pari has fought and beat last night like pari has beaten more ufc champions than mcgregor or habib or ferguson or any of them like he's fought so many good guys and for so long and like i don't think we appreciate dustin pari enough like it's it i know he won the interim title but it's amazing how good this division is that Paria has never been like the full champion because he is a fantastic fighter like sometimes we forget it because McGregor's beaten him and Habib has beaten him but you know apart from them Michael Johnson who you know can, can it's be, MMA if you fight yeah. the top level guys for long enough it, <laughs> like, you know it's, it's a very very rare yeah. rare fighter to not take some losses yeah he's a he's just a fantastic fighter I love Dustin Paria and he's a great guy as well which is uh which is a plus so yeah brilliant fight 8.9 but yeah, what what do you think about the McGregor Paria fight? Do you think that makes sense? Um, yeah, well, uh, yeah, it does not make sense. Uh, do you think the the outside the hardcore bubble can get him invested in it with the the kind of emphaticness of the in of the first yeah, fight? That might that might be an issue, but like I think they get invested in any McGregor fight, you know, like. I, yeah, I think they would. Like, would they get invested in the McGregor Aldo fight again if that had happened? Or well, I know that Aldo's down to one thirty-five now, but like, I think if it had happened straight away or, or soon after the Aldo one, people would have been there would have been the uh, lucky punch thing mm-hmm. that people were trying to run with. But uh, now I think, mm, I think it'd be very hard to sell the Aldo. Well, not very hard to sell it, but it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be the the number one pick to sell a lot of a lot of yeah. pay per views and high price tickets. Yeah, like I'd I'd love to see this fight. Obviously, Paria versus Ferguson might make a bit of sense as well. Or I know Ferguson's coming off a loss. I think Ferguson versus Hooker might actually make more sense of a fight. I like that fight, but um, yeah, it's interesting seeing McGregor hasn't said anything yet. I don't believe I haven't been on Twitter today, but uh, I don't know. He he seems to be saying very quiet after his most recent uh his most recent retirement. So we'll uh we'll see uh we'll see what happens there. Um. Right, some other fights on the card. <laughs> what did you think of Mike Ferry having his girlfriend guarding him? She did, she did a great job, didn't she? She was all right. She didn't do anything wrong. She 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 told him to punch someone in the face once, and he did it, and he knocked him down. So that was very good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I was. I expected a lot more from Mike Perry in this fight. I, I know. Um, he did, like you know, it is two people in there, but Mickey Gall. Maybe he made a lot of improvements and all, but from what we saw before, I thought Mike Perry was going to put away with punches early. Mm-hmm. Um, he just looked a bit off. Mike Perry he didn't his timing didn't seem there. It was more, I don't know, something seemed off with him. But maybe that's just uh, Mickey Gall was able to was was able to develop a bit more between camps because he is very young in the game. Mickey Gall, like you know. Uh, He's good on the ground always, like when, since he since he came to the UFC. But he, maybe he's involved on the feet. But I I, I don't know. I just uh, I wasn't impressed by by Mike Perry at all. Yeah, like the first round was very close. I thought Mickey Gall did a, a good job, of kind of landing power shots over the top and was landing a few jabs and things like that. But I think after landing maybe three hard shots. Mike Perry just uh, stopped respecting his power, I think. And I think he that kind of won him the fight. He just kind of walked him down after that and won, won it all. He got a few takedowns as well, and he landed on top a couple of times. Um, and that was really... Yeah, it was like... It was a good fight, not a great fight. Um, two, two guys who have developed a name that everyone knows, and that's a hard thing to do in the UFC. You know, just look down to the rest of this fucking card. 
it's a very hard thing to do but they're not great fighters like they're, they're both good fighters they're fine as you said uh, Carl is young in, in the game and he could improve and he could come on but obviously him coming in fighting CM Punk was uh, was a thing that people are going to remember forever even if his quality doesn't uh, you know doesn't join up with that and Mike Perry is just a mad fuck <laughs> like really and he's he's power at times and he can knock people out but um, yeah I, th- I think Luke Thomas put it up last night saying that Perry is still young and he has like the the violent streak in him and he has skills in all areas if he gets to like a good camp and stays there for a few years he could come on and could get better and yeah maybe he could but is that going to happen realistically uh i don't really know but like mike Ferry seems to have taken up this kind of um as as michael bisping called him on the on the uh on the broadcast last night a dummy and kind of taking up the dummy role which it suits him very well and having the girlfriend in the corner and she's saying like uh how am i doing and you're, he's like good oh no the other way around but then uh, between the the second round and the third round perry was like saying oh yeah give me some water uh hold the ice up to my head <laughs> i thought it was very funny but uh yeah a, a good fight like the thing about this before we get into the other fights i, I like i tweeted last night and there was a few people giving out to me that saying like um uh jiu-jitsu is more fun when it's a lower level of mma and like okay that sound may sound like a backhanded comment but I, these fights like every other fight in the in the card is okay there's a couple of guys there who could rise up and be top 15 champions or maybe whatever but there's very few you know most of these fights are borderline ufc level fights you know uh fights you'd see on a regional circuit or whatever and the level of like jiu-jitsu exchanges when the fight goes to the ground there's way more like fun movement on the ground and passing guard scrambles yeah i i feel like that doesn't happen half as much in high level mma like the the hooker paria fight you turn on the fight you could see the difference between the other fights immediately and when the fights got to the ground there was more it's more of a stalemate these days on the ground at high level mma unless it's someone like habib's who habib who dominates or the the lower weight guys uh, yeah can be very exciting and scrambly as well but do you notice that as well like uh, i i feel like and it's it's not i like jujitsu like this i love watching jujitsu scrambles like this. i think it's actually one of the most exciting things in mma because the level of striking mma is harder to unless you're like one of the best in the world like a McGregor or a Wonderboy whoever it might be it's harder to actually produce that but for even for lower level guys it's easier to produce fun well, jiu jitsu I think yeah I think if you like I don't watch much jiu jitsu at all but if, if if you watch a little bit of no no gi jiu jitsu over the years you'll see that when when the kind of high level guys or um, closely matched guys it nearly always ended in a 20 minute draw with not much excitement so they kind of tried to like change the rules make sudden down you know it's just the kind of nature of it when when two guys are really good it's it's you know it's uh, kind of a slow chess match Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, and and I, I'm kind of glad it is. You know, I give out about these cards not being as good, and you're not getting as excited for them. But like this card and the card before it last week, I think they were a little bit more exciting, and I think that was part of it. So okay, it's a backhanded compliment, but it's still a compliment. I I, I did enjoy it, but um, and especially you know, let, let's okay, let's get into a few more of these fights. This Maurice Green 
<laughs> Jean Valentin fight was just as it was the stupidest fight I've seen in a very long time. Like it, they were just Jean Valentin. It looked like he was like in a movie about like some some guy who like <laughs> some dad who like decided to to fight MMA. What's your man? What's your man that played Batman in those three very good movies? The um, Christian Bale. He looked yeah. He looked like Christian Bale got really into a role and put on like eight stone. <laughs> <laughs> that's what he, like that move from light heavyweight to heavyweight is a bit scary have you seen Gustafson recently like Gustafson is looking like fucking no, me now like he's big fat face in him and all it's like that's but that. it just removes the the. I suppose it removes the necessity to be disciplined all yeah. the time when you're trying to make weight at a, a weight that you shouldn't really be making weight at yeah and like you're probably just saying fuck it let's uh, I need to put on extra weight it's going to benefit me and you just play FIFA all day and eat Kit Kat so it's that looks like what John Valente did. This was the weirdest fight ever as well because, okay, Mar- Green, I've never seen anyone ever in the, all the years, I'm watching fights now over a fucking decade before that and boxing and everything like that. I have never, ever, ever seen someone roar when they get hit and before they get hit like Green did in this fight. Like, Valente was trying to lay kick and he's like, ah! Before, before it even landed, he just knew it was coming, he was roaring. It, it was like, do you know Chukagan, when she throws punches, she's like a tennis player and she roars when she's throwing them. But he was roaring when fucking Valente was throwing him. It was so weird. I've, ne- I've never seen anything like it. Then Valente knocks him down with a big shot at the start of the third round, wasn't it? Then he just gets unbelievably fucking tired, lays on top of him. And Maurice Green submits him with a head and arm throw from the bottom. There has been a few before. Aljamain Sterling got one on uh, on Takeo Mizugaki. And there was a... I remember putting up a trade on the UG about fucking 10 years ago. And there was four or five of them back then. And there had been a few. But uh, this was just an odd fight, wasn't it? And a very odd finish. <laughs> what, did you, what did you think of this one? Yeah, I, like, what is that finish? Like, it's like a... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> what is that what happened like uh, <laughs> was he just so tired or was it actually a legit modified joke from, uh, like uh, I don't know what happened basically I, uh, yeah. what do you think that was legit that, like or do you think it was just it See, was just like uh, this is uncomfortable I think there were I went back and if anyone I tweeted out last night this Sterling one on Takei Mizugaki and you watch that one you can see Jesus Mizugaki doesn't have much room to breathe Sterling has him absolutely fucking torn up he, he just I can you can see why he got caught in this in this one I think it was you know it was probably 60% a choke and 40% absolute tiredness I think you know, I don't think if that this had happened in the start of the first round, he would have choked him with it. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe maybe he would have. Maybe he has something in that area. I know we see certain guys like OSP with his, uh, with his uh, what's it called? Fucking uh, Von Flew choke. Um, so maybe maybe he just hasn't. But no, like he was definitely choking him. It's definitely a legitimate choke. We've seen it a few times before, but I'm sure Jiu-Jitsu guy, I'm sure Paul Brown will send me a voice and <laughs> tell, me, tell me why it would work and why it won't normally work. But uh, it's not something you see normally. And when you don't see something normally, like the Van, Pro- Van Flew choke as well, there's a reason for that usually. And Jiu-Jitsu guys will tell you, okay, all these chokes land. They're very, very respectful of all chokes. But they're low percentage a lot of the times just because it's very hard to get them unless it's a lower level person or unless it's absolute tiredness and there was a bit of both here <laughs> Not, sorry john but there was there was a bit of both here but uh yeah um then the brendan brendan allen kyle Dawkins fight that was the whoa, 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 there's another scorecard here in this one 30 or 30 yeah. 27 that was that was the that was the one bit of judging controversy how are you gonna how are you gonna how are you gonna defend your, your all your mates in nah. the judges union <laughs> 
I mean, the judges get it. Yeah, it was a, like I tweeted out last night. There was no way he won that. What, what, the third round, wasn't it? Yeah, so Dawkins, Dawkins landed all the shots on the feet in that third round. He got him to the ground. He took his back. He landed shots from the back. He was threatening with submissions. Not not too much. Though. Like, there was, I tweeted it could have been a 10 8, but he saved it near the end. I, watching it back, I don't think it was near a 10 8, to be honest. He didn't land as much from the back as, as I thought. Uh, and then towards the end, uh, Brendan Allen got on top and he landed a few shots not as much as it looked I think live and 100% a Kyle Dawkins 10-9 round that that was a bad bad judging round 100% but look the, the right fella won the round if that's the one or the won the, um, won the fight if that's the only one judge scored one round incorrectly for the guy who won and he would have won anyway. So if that's the biggest issue in, in judging in the night, ten eight isn't. I know it's not. <clears throat> it didn't turn into a big issue, but that could have if it were in a closer fight. Which in the Paria fight? Yeah. I don't. I don't think, think that's that was unacceptable. Or do yeah, you think I it think was... it's acceptable. I think if we go back and watch it again, I, like Paria dominated that round. He got like he got his jab going. Hooker didn't. There wasn't much coming back from Hooker to be honest. And yeah, I Did think Hooker that not get on top a couple of times uh, or for an ex- ah. a, a decent amount of time and land of like. So. Uh, yeah, I think he did. Oh, yeah. Maybe I'm mixing the rounds up though. Yeah, I'll go back and watch it again, and I'll talk about it in the Q and A. But uh, yeah, yeah. Look, it, this this was definitely a bad judge round, and it's like there's one round. How many rounds were judged in this whole fight? By how many judges are in this whole event? There was lots of them, and there was one, and it didn't even matter. It was so one like, is pretty pretty. Bad. It was bad. It was bad. Yeah, it was a hundred. Yeah. It was a hundred percent bad. And I'd be interested to see. You know, I know they have judging meetings after all the events. I'd be interested to see what he says when he's. You know, given it, maybe he tossed he, um, uh, Alan knocked or knocked almost knocked him out or hurt him badly uh, in those last exchanges. He had a bad angle of it or something. Maybe he's an excuse for it, but there is no excuse for it really. I don't think. I just think it was bad to be honest. I I don't think, I, I don't think any judge would should be given that ten nine to uh to bring that Alan. But however, his performance though, I thought he was he was good for the first couple of rounds. Got a little bit tired, obviously again, um. But yeah, that would, a big elbow to start in, in the first round, um, bleeding just horrendously. I thought the cutman did a great job. Um, he was dropped late in the Dawkins was dropped late in the end of the second, and obviously we talked about the the third round. So yeah, good fight all round. Uh, then Takashi Sato with a beautiful one-two right down the middle, and Jason Waite who came in in like forty-eight hours notice, the poor lad. He didn't have his wits about him, and got uh, got absolutely fucking destroyed. Uh, in the very start of that one, didn't Juicy J Julian Arosa beat my boy with a darse choke? Sean Woodson. <laughs> it wasn't uh, speaking about judging robberies. Wasn't it great to Is see you, uh, Julian Arosa <laughs> not your not your boy too? Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I suppose he is, but. I, wasn't it great to see someone like Julian Rossa getting a big win like this? Like, he's taken a lot of those fights, Pimblet included, against guys who, you know, are favoured to beat him. He's brought in to lose and be that kind of, uh, you know, a good guy who is a test for an up-and-comer who you can, you know, he's a step on the ladder. And he just, he refuses to be that a lot of the times. Okay, he doesn't win all these fights, 100%, but... I was I was happy for him to get this one. And I know Sean Woodson is a guy who I've championed and I think he's a very good fighter and I think he could be a, a top top fighter. But Julian Rosa just wasn't having it last night. I was I was this is made me made me happy to see Julian Rosa win this. Well what did you think of him? Yeah. It's always it's always good when it's a come from behind as well. A come from behind finish. Of an underdog especially. Like, you know, it looks to be going the way everybody kind of expected it to go. Maybe Julian Rosa was doing a little bit better than people expected, especially on short notice or whatever, but as you said, he's always game. 
to 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 fly in last minute and uh, and fight and you know if 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 you're doing that and you're you're make, getting come from back come from behind wins and exciting fights you know Dana and the UFC brass might keep you keep you around. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think you know obviously he uh, he's 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 more experienced um, and probably you know if maybe if they fought. Again, it, he wouldn't win, but you know it's the kind of beauty of MMA. Even like even when you're behind, uh, you, you can never you can never be sure. Like uh, I say, a lot of people a lot of people lost their accumulators there. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent, definitely. Do you know what this fight fight reminded me a little bit of? It reminded me of um, and in a, in a, in a different way, but it reminded me of Tyson Fury versus Deontay Wilder. Um, in that the second one, in that Sean Woodson came out, and I think it was because of the smaller cage. Like he's usually got okay, he does attack a bit, but he's more of a counter striker, very languid boxing style, but like not your normal boxing style. It's very it's a very weird style, but it's a very good and effective style. And I I think he said, right, in the smaller cage, I can't really do that. So I'm gonna have to go out and attack. And he did that in the first round. But then Erosa, as you said, with that um with that uh uh, experience that he has and he's been in fights with go- big prospects before he just decided fuck this i'm going to attack and that that pressure i think told in the second round and i think it was i think it was tough for woodson to come back from that with his lack of experience and it was one one after the second what woodson did in fairness he came back he knocked him down um at the start of the third but uh erosa was able to get the submission on the ground <clears throat> and did a did a great job obviously of getting the getting the dar choke but um yeah, I feel like, I feel like, and you know, we talked about entertainment again earlier. And I talked about this last week as well. But the small cage makes these fights more entertaining, and we, I think, we need to f- throw out the big cage altogether because MMA is becoming a less entertaining sport because of the improvements in it. And I think the small cage, and I, I know I'm flying in the face of what I normally say myself. I like the technical improvements, and I love that side of the game, but. I think entertainment is a huge part of this sport as well, and we need to do all we can to keep that. And I think the smaller cage makes it better. And even fight- for like a, you know the highest level pay per view fights, and the main events, uh, like you know these big big fights for titles. Yeah, maybe that's where you change it. But is that fair then? Like, is it fair to have a different size? thing for all the fights and i know they've done it in the past and it's it happens in different uh it, in you know their soccer pitches can be different in from one ground to another as well but you know but i don't know i don't know that, yeah, that's a good question maybe not maybe you change it for the title fights uh or title fight events uh but for events like this i i think it should be i, I think you should keep the small cage but maybe i'm wrong maybe people disagree with me but um the undercard then like the undercard was not great like was not Cam Wardy came in there and he fought Lewis Pena and Pena was winning but then Wardy came back and he got the got the guillotine choke was very very good well it was maybe 1-1 one, one. um Pena nearly had the head and arm choke in round two uh guillotine attempt in rounds uh guillotine attempt after that and then there was two Brazilian taps from from uh Lewis Pena like watching it I always thought Lewis Pena might be like a top level fighter or might get get you know up there towards the top 15 or whatever but i don't know like he's he's been in the ufc now for two years after coming from tough he's had what uh seven six seven fights in the ufc and i don't know i don't see he's had a few wins a few losses maybe he will still come you know he's still young in the game as as you said about someone earlier on 26 years of age so maybe he will but i don't know what did you think of lewis Pena? i was I, I, like I have high expectations for a guy like Pena, and I don't think he's kind of met him yet. What, what do you think of him? 
Yeah, well, like sometimes, sometimes it can be easier for guys to learn the basics, kind of the the bread and butter, uh, and some guys can't learn them. So we'll see with Pena, but I think like he definitely has a lot of potential. But whether he can realize that or not, you know, uh, maybe it would have been better for him not to get into the UFC so early. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, he's he's you know making more money or whatever, but maybe a little step down in competition would benefit him while he develops he is still young in his career as you mentioned um i wouldn't root him out yet but you know um he definitely has to close some some glaring holes in his game yeah 100 uh tanner balsardin landed a lovely five or six punch combination to knock out philip lins uh brilliant brilliant knockout brilliant uh brilliant performance by him uh k hansen uh, beat Frey not tonight not today by uh, by Hanson Fairplator and then the other fight I didn't see it Yusuf Zalal won that fight right um, so a couple of things before we get on to Liverpool Cage Warriors are coming back September 24, 25th and 26th Graham Bylan says they're looking for a venue I saw him tweeting last night about the BT Sports studio and they've had an event there before maybe that'll be the venue maybe not now maybe I'm reading into it too much but uh I think that'd be a good place for Cage Legacy also coming back. Uh, in Ireland on the 30th of October, I spoke to uh, Darren Sonic last night, the, one of the uh, owners and one of the guys that runs Cage Legacy. Uh, and obviously, you know, he told me they're, uh, you know, they're going to talk to Safe MMA and medical advisors and the IWMWA. They're going to attempt to do it with 100 spectators, but obviously that could change. It's October, so it's a good while away. Um, and, you know, what way this coronavirus works and, and stuff like that. So, uh, And they're going to try to do it on pay-per-view as well. So good to see Irish MMA coming back, or at least plans for it to come back. You know, I, I think the lads will probably admit themselves <laughs> that it's not 100%. Uh, it's not 100% if it will or uh, won't happen yet, but, it, you know, hopefully it will, and the plans are there anyway to put it in place. So, um, yeah, and they're... Uh, Darren told me they're obviously very uh, very cognizant of the safety of the fighters so it'll be interesting to see what, where we are as a country then and uh, what safety precautions will be taken what have to be taken but like the plans are in place to have the event in what is it four months time anyway so there's a long way to go between then but um, good to see Cage Warriors come back good to see Cage Legacy come back Graham isn't it yeah, well, like, yeah, it's, it's good to see things seemingly starting to, to go back to normal, but we'll wait and see what happens. Uh, I wouldn't be booking any any hotels or anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I would. But, uh, it, like, the Irish fighters, you know, you've obviously been around the, the scene for a long time, and Irish uh, amateur MMA was a thing we talked about a good while over the last few years, and that there used to be lots of fights, and then there was very little. And now, obviously, during the pandemic, there's none. It's... It's going to be a very tough time for those lads. Say, you know, someone in t- fighting in Team Rhino or SPG and wanting to make maybe their their amateur debut or having a couple or a couple of amateur fights and then having a, basically a year off here where they can't get any experience. That's and I know it's the same all over the world. Maybe a little bit less in America and Brazil and places like that. But it's tough, isn't it, for those young Irish guys coming up? Yeah, well, hopefully with Cage Warriors trying to to make a proper comeback, these Cage Warriors Academy shows that kind of like old battle zones nearly will will help the Irish fighters, obviously. Uh, but yeah, like for these Irish fighters, it's just a lot of lost time over the last few years, uh, not just the pandemic, but the the obviously the the attempts or the attempts to get uh, regulated or not regulated but recognised over here. Um, so yeah, it's it's definitely a tough time for Irish amateurs, but. And Irish young pros, but uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully now with with the the cage warriors and the cage legacy, it'll give give someone opportunity. But you know, there's only so many 
like so many fights on these cards like sometimes cards can be what between 12 up to 20 fights but still a lot of lot more fighters you won't be able to get on th- those cards mm-hmm. yeah I, I wonder what say someone like a cage legacy and it might, it might be difficult but uh maybe if they're not obviously there's a lot of things to talk about but if you did something like you know what like they do with jujitsu where it's like a whole day and there's like you know you do this way at first and that way kind like, of like mma league yeah, before do it like fucking at 14 hours <laughs> start at like 10 o'clock in the morning and do it till fucking 12 o'clock at night and just have loads of amateur fighters on they're like do it whole, all, an all amateur card even just to get people a little bit of experience and it will obviously cut the cost for the cage legacy people because it's good like those lads don't make big money anyway putting on those cards and they do a great job and they've i fair play to them for you know keeping irish mma going over the last few years when there's really been no one else uh you know and obviously at the, at the kind of the the up and coming level we've had cage warriors and bellator come in cage wires very recently but the one card but um like if if they could do that and i'm sure the the spg and team rhino and the lads up the north and all the teams in in uh, you know team kf and teams down in cork and limerick and everywhere have people who are mad to get fights and if something like that could happen i think it could be very very beneficial now it's very very tough to pull off any event right now uh and you know you have to keep it under 100 people as well and stuff so it's uh it's going to be very difficult but obviously it's four months away as well but i the signs that they're coming back are are very good anyway and uh i wish them all the best i'm sure everyone irish have made us as well because like you know conor mcgregor starts in an amateur fight and uh, Carl Pindrell starts in an amateur fight and Neil Seary and you know a John Jones and everyone that's where they all start and if they don't get that start and they can't get that start we won't see them so that's very a very important grassroots is a very important part of MMA and especially in a sport like MMA where which isn't as organized you know as other sports if if you see a fucking Marcus Rashford or a Trent Alexander Arnold coming through you know they've played for since they're 9, 10, 11, 12 and they've come through the, the Man United or the Liverpool ranks or whatever and they've been you know brought up that way the whole time and they know what their next step is going to be it's very difficult and I'm, sh- like, I'm sure Andy Ryan and John Kavanagh and all these lads do a great job of bringing these guys through but like it's very difficult to know exactly where they're going to be. Like, are they going to get a, a, a slot on a Cage Legacy show or a Cage Warrior show or a, whatever show it might be? Like, and they probably will, but it's not. You know, it's not always certain. So, it's a it's a difficult road normally, but it's been made even more difficult by the the pandemic. And hopefully, hopefully, we are seeing signs of it coming back. But um, yeah, right. I think that's all the MMA we have. Graham, have anything else? Anything else in the MMA side to talk about? Um no no we we haven't got a card for a couple of weeks so uh yeah. we'll probably talk about that next week yeah we'll uh, we'll preview that card next week so right if anyone hates soccer tune out right now credit to me first of all for saying that Liverpool would win the league before the the season even started mm-hmm. and said yeah in fairness I thought I thought that um you know Man City would you know I thought it'd be close and then Man City would probably pull away and mm-hmm. maybe win by a little bit more of a margin than the one point last year. But, you know, especially when, you know, uh, Man City, you know, I, I obviously you talked about the, the injury at the back to Laporte, but we didn't really know. We didn't know that at the start of the season. So, um, you know, and if, if the same injury had happened to Van Dijk, maybe maybe it would have been, you know, a much closer title race or gone the other way. But I just think the the the, the unrelenting winning of Liverpool early on, um, just like Man City kind of, they, they nearly... I don't know, broke is right, but they kind of, I don't know, they kind of lost hope earlier than they should have, really. You, th- you think a team of their quality and their their prowess in the past and their points total, do you think, I think they kind of 
broke. I don't know if broke it broke is right, but they they kind of threw in the towel a little bit early. I think nearly. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll talk about Just, Liverpool in a second but um, at Man City's point I actually think you know company as a player was a huge loss but I think company as a leader was an even bigger loss like would you think they would have broken as easily like, I think Liverpool would have still won the league anyway even if company hadn't left to be honest I just think Liverpool were the better team this year but if company I think it would have been a lot I, I don't think the league would be over right now if company was still there I think he would have led them a bit better and he would have obviously played a bit better than having fucking Adam Indy and other guys like that playing um I think the, like he's last. I, I said that before the, the league. I think his last was gargantuan for them. Like to be honest. Yeah, to be honest, I think like if Liverpool had been like there was Liverpool won nearly all of their games like two one kind of you know really close games where it was in the balance the whole time and it gave Man City hope week after week that it looked like oh Liverpool are going to drop points here and then they they equalise or, or or scored a winner or, or both in the last minutes and that was just like demoralising. City kind of think okay maybe we've got a it's not seven points anymore it's going to go down to f- to four or five and then all of a sudden there's a couple of goals and it's just, uh, a shot like a, a Dick punch, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, if Liverpool were just like you know, if it, Man City last, basically they scored in the first five minutes of every game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, five minutes in, you pretty much knew that they'd won, and you didn't have to even watch it or get your hopes up that they were going to mm-hmm. drop points. They were like five nil up by half time and stuff. It's easier to take. It's easier to accept. And you think every every second game, you think, oh, here they're about to lose points, and then all of a sudden they just win again. Yeah. It's very true. Like it's I actually draining. I think I absolutely hate Liverpool. There's no one on earth who hates Liverpool as much as me. But I was a little bit like, like cause I know with, with Limerick win all Ireland a couple of years ago. I experienced this. Like they'd never won it in my lifetime, and I know they've won it in your won the league in your lifetime. But it's a long time ago. You're only a child. You don't even remember. It. Like and yeah, I, I don't like, remember it. Yeah. I, I like I fucking really enjoyed that so much. I felt a bit bad for Liverpool fans that. It happened in the middle of a pandemic, and you won it. No, like, you didn't. No, you didn't. What no, are you talking about? You won it. Like, I, I obviously, I, I, I'm kind of glad it happened at the same time. But like, you won it on a Thursday night when you weren't even playing. Uh, you know, it's. I actually think the winning it on the the Thursday night, not even playing, was better than winning it in an empty stadium because it just would have looked so weird. But yeah. it, the fact that they we've seen this before many times with teams in a hotel or whatever together watching it, we've seen it. It seemed more normal. That's actually a good point. Yeah, you're right. In fairness. Do you think it's a special, or they like? I think it was. I think it was like fitting that they kind of, you know, they absolutely demolished Crystal Palace, who were kind of like the media would build them up as this kind of like oh bogey team over the years, and mm-hmm. you know it's gone wrong here before or whatever kind of thing. Even you know, even though that game where the Palace game that was kind of synonymous with the league or whatever before wasn't really the, like that was a game that Liverpool needed to win like. Seven, eight, nine, nil. So, like, it, it, it's been misrepresented of, of what was happening in that game. But anyway, mm-hmm. um, and like you know, for the first time in Opta recorded history, the other team didn't have a single touch in the opposition ball. Like, you know, I, I don't know. Liverpool maybe get fined or something for having a spectator, a spectator in 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 the stadium. Like, I don't know what Allison was doing there, but <laughs> it definitely goes against COVID nineteen rules. I like that. What did you think about the the horrible, horrible Liverpool fan reaction afterwards, with thousands of people out in the street and trying to set fire to a building and all? Well, that's, that's not what happened. Yeah. Uh, work uh, by some guy from Lancashire, apparently, according to the police, uh, set, went up and set the balcony on fire. It's terrible. It actually is terrible, but I, it, it isn't what the the tabloids were trying to make it out to be. But what about all the thousands of people there? Yeah, I like like yeah, I don't agree with that. Like, but um, you know, you see here. There's people going to the beach every sunny day. It is every sunny day there is, and it's like it just seems people are fed up and just aren't doing it anymore. A lot of people and yeah. 
like even <sighs> uh, it's it's terrible you shouldn't be doing that but like even me like all right what the fuck do we expect like you know and do you know what it might be better as well that it happened on a Thursday night because if they had done that and it happened at Anfield you know they were saying oh we'll stay away from Anfield they wouldn't their fuck have stayed away from Anfield like not a whole like the next Anfield game I'd say the fans will probably show up again I'd say there could be more trouble but yeah I don't know like oh, look overall as, as a season obviously it's the weirdest season in Premier League history and for Liverpool to kind of win it in that it's it, it does take away from a little bit which makes me very happy but like they're a fantastic team obviously the um, and uh yeah he doesn't like he deserves yeah, it to doesn't win. take away from yeah. it at all i think because like, it was it was done so early like i think uh, if like for example if it, liverpool hadn't this 30 30 year thing going on uh, like if man city or chelsea or arsenal or man united over the years had been that far away that clinical that good and that un, unstoppable early it, it would have been like pretty much generally accepted earlier that that was over just because it was Liverpool and the, the long wait or whatever was people were kind of less willing to to say it was over but it was it was over like you know you just don't want to say it and then it blow back in your face yeah yeah you were, you were doing that often enough. I was saying it was over before the season started you were like well, oh. the benefit of of coming out before it's you know because you know we've seen football before anything can happen like you know even stuff that you don't think can happen like the fucking coronavirus can, can yeah. happen like yeah, yeah, yeah. so you never know you never know in football yeah it's a perfect way for me though for liverpool to win a league because there will always be the asterisks inside it no matter what what you the know, first spring. coast affair var league yeah but like it's a yeah. league where var has changed in the middle of the season where you brought in five substitutes where it went way past when it was supposed to go past like this is not like this has been but a it was done league. it was done you were you, you'd handed over the title in august hadn't yeah you? but the, the end of the league was completely different from the start of the league there's no question about that like there has to be an asterisk alongside this oh, always you can't just change the <laughs> no but in fairness <laughs> though, like if, i know many United fans have to cling to something but this asterisk thing is just ridiculous no it's true though. but like if i was jurgen klopp i would have put on three substitutes in every game and just refused to put on five to you know, just because you say I can't put on, put, don't put any. Why would he care? Out. Why would he care about it? What some bitter Man United fan? Ah, but it's true though. Like there, you even know that. Like, like come he, on, he doesn't. No, he doesn't care about that. Like if you're going to talk about asterisks, then you can put an asterisk beside nearly all of Man United's Premier League wins. Go back at horrendous, like corrupt decisions, and you know Mark Halsey writing in his book that he was basically best mate to Ferguson. Like there's just some serious corruption going on there. Like if we want to go into asterisks, ah, but come on, we're during the middle of a pandemic. Like the season, the season actually in like there a couple of weeks ago sure these games don't even exist these are pre-season friendlies <laughs> for next year like, yeah, just keep year. telling yourself that yeah. uh, will this, will, uh, Liverpool will just worry about being the, the current Champions League Super Cup Provincial League and World <laughs> You're still calling the Provincial League, so yeah. Well, like, having having experience winning like everything as a Liverpool fan I can tell you that the Premier League is definitely not the biggest trophy in football the, the Champions League is Everybody well, like, knows that though. Like nobody doesn't think that. Like you know, let's I be honest. No, I, I'd rather win the championship. Well, you're a Man United the, fan, okay? Well, league. nobody who's not a Man United fan. Like, I've, I've, ex- I've experienced both, and you know, I, I've experienced without an asterisk inside and with fans in the stadium <laughs> and everything. Like, and I can tell you, I'd rather the the Premier League. I think the Premier League is better. Uh, I think that's uh, you're in the, the minority there. You, like, Liverpool just won the Premier League two days ago. Clubs and fans all together. I think there's way more people who. I think obviously there's like a difference between like thirty years and there's kind of like a weight lifted off and a, all that stuff is, is like a extenuating circumstance but in general like you know the, the Premier League is fantastic or whatever but the Champions League is 
is really where it's at. Like everything's on the line all the time but in the knockout stages. It's way more of a lottery, like you know, it's like you have to get there though. Like it takes a lot to get there. <laughs> okay, lottery. they're gonna they're probably gonna let Man United in in fifth, like you know. Yeah. And that's probably good for like Liverpool and all the other teams because all they're going to see us here and Ed Woodward or keep their jobs. So happy days, but <laughs> you know what I mean. But like, it's probably better for 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 Man United being shit going forward. Yeah, but like the best teams don't almost never win the Champions League. Like the best team in the world, nah, almost a lot never. of the time they do. Like obviously sometimes they don't, but uh, like because you know, no, it's not a lot happen, of times. But like, a lot of the time, like nah, the best teams do win it. Like. They, they don't really though. They don't. Like remember Porto are getting to the final. Like that Liverpool team, you like. By a Liverpool team last year, yeah, what they were, but the for the Liverpool team won in two thousand five or whatever. Yeah, but were AC Milan the best team? Like you know, usually they yeah, would have won that game. Were. Like yeah, you know what I mean. Usually they would have won that game. Like obviously not all the time in knockout football, especially over one leg yeah. in a final, anything can happen. Exactly, it's a pure lottery. Like the, the league is but completely it, different. It, yeah, but to get to the Champions League, you need to you need to be a, like a, a obviously like if you're in a one of these other leagues, it's it's easier. But if you're in one of the major leagues and it's 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 difficult to get in there like man united probably wouldn't be getting in there if if it wasn't for they might win the europa league like and be yeah okay yeah 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 you know what i mean like it's yeah. i don't know but liverpool obviously it's um it's, it's a big like weight off the, the the club so that adds to the importance of winning the premier league but obviously like going forward like if if, if there's no like um war with man united over like 19 and 20 titles or whatever mm-hmm. then obviously the that's why that's probably why you're attached to the, the premier league and maybe uh, the maybe the sky sports have influenced you over the years by pretending like no football exists so uh, like the league, unless they have the rights to the champions league or... apart from this this last two years maybe and especially this year the league has been a real sign of of uh like a competitive quality team winner, like Liverpool are a quality team, but there was no competitiveness this year. You know, what they only lost one game all season. Like, there's... well, like you know, like I know what you're saying, but in as I mentioned earlier, like a lot of those results were one goal wins in like last minute, yeah. or you know, there was a lot of competitive games in there. Like it wasn't, it wasn't like Man City, hundred points where they won four or five nil every game, yeah. and the, the last half an hour was like, oh, let's get fucking mm-hmm. pass the ball around here and there's get the not rest a in. Liverpool are a quality team. Like, do you know what the most ridiculous thing for me is, and I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I know you do agree with me. This thing about Jordan Henderson being the player of the year, like, come fucking on. He's not even no, the top no. three or four best players. I always said about the, the, you know, the Ryan Giggs thing. is You don't give yeah, it to him out of, like, an emotional thing. Like, you, like, I think you agreed with the Ryan Giggs thing at the time, though, no? Yeah. yeah <laughs> the, the problem with that year was there was no standout player. So, like, if there was no standout it player... It definitely wasn't Ryan Giggs, though. It no, definitely wasn't him. If like, there was no standout player, like... He was playing, like, half an hour in midfield every fucking yeah, 10 games. That's, that's true. But if there was no standout player, like, a Mane or a De Bruyne or a Trent Alexander-Arnold even as much as I don't like him this year then Henderson would be a worthy winner but absolutely Oof, does it hurt you to say Trent Alexander-Arnold there at the start like, of the season you were slating no I'm bit. still slating I, I think he will be showing up 100% but he's a fantastic player going forward in this team he can't defend for shit and he will get shown up mm-hmm. 100% and you still think um, uh, what's his name Wambasak is better Oh, he will be in. Yeah, he will. A hundred percent. Like I, I guarantee you. Ni- Ni- will be. Nico, Nico Williams is going to be better than Wambasaka. The is oh, who, oh, the the new Liverpool right back. You might be better off putting him in. Actually, I've never seen him, but he's probably better than Trent. Like, <laughs> like, like oh, thirty year Trent Alexander Arnold. Who do you think should win Player of the Year, Sam? Um, oh, I think it's between. 
Like, see, I think people are forgetting about Van Dyke just because he was he was so much he better last year yeah, than everybody wasn't else. This year, yeah. And this year he was very, very like for any other defender, if he had to put in that like it's just the high standards people expect from from Virgil. I think Virgil probably was the best player in the league this year again, but it's just because he's it's a slight a very slight like but when you have such high standards and you barely make a mistake one season a couple of mistakes makes it look like makes it look like a dip, a bigger dip in form than yeah, it is that's true that is and true. you know with constant change in between Lovren Matt Gomez just due to injuries all season he like you know <laughs> yeah, it was uh, it, the continuity uh, of like Matt up uh, beside him or Gomez beside him for four months and then Matt beside him for four months once the injury swapped it's it's different it is harder like when you see it over the over the over the years when when you're chopping and changing at the back it does cause uh, mistakes to creep in like that's why a lot of players a lot of managers rotate players all over the pitch except when they can they'll, they'll keep the back forward or back two at least together mm-hmm yeah, yeah, Van Dyke is fantastic. Like he's but the best. Like, you know, Man, he did score some like exceptional goals. Like Salah, like he's another one that just because of the the goal record in the first season, people keep thinking he's not doing as well. But he's so important when he's not playing. Like the first Man United game, uh, with the one all with the Lalana equaliser after that horrendous referee indecision. Um, uh, poor Rigi, he's lucky he's alive. <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know. Uh, yeah, I, 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 like Salah's absolutely brilliant as well. But I, like, I'd have them all ahead of Jordan Henderson, even though Jordan Henderson is a, like a, he, he kind of makes the machine work. But that doesn't, in a way, but that doesn't make you the best in the league. Yeah, like Fred, is, Fred has been very good for Man United. Like you know, Jordan Henderson probably been slightly better than him, but like in a shit team, uh, he's a lot better than, than no, Fred since he I moved out so. of the defensive mid. Like I think you're probably kind of judging. Uh, Henderson in the four or in the defensive midfield role that he's playing yeah. a couple of seasons back yeah. that he's changed like, over from, since he went there he's he's been he's, he's Jordan, been very very good in is Jordan Henderson that much better than like a Darren Fletcher or something like that I don't think he is yeah he's way better than a Darren no, Fletcher like, Darren Fletcher was basically just playing because Ferguson was Scottish and he was Scottish no he's not he's like just a workhorse like he's not a he's not a great player at all he's a, he's an average player like very average he just happens to be in a great team like in fairness he's he works well. brilliant in the system like the, oh the, he does yeah but he's not a great player like Fabinho yeah, he, is a very good player and he's made look better Fabinho's by, a great player yeah but he's Fabinho's made look he's player. made look player better by the, the system he's in but he is a great player uh, Van Dyke is made look by the, better by the system he's in but he's a fantastic player Trent well, made obviously the, having, a, the, having a, yeah. a good manager and a good coaching staff who can like that's obviously you know for example, like you know, me and you were talking about Mane. Okay, that's probably maybe a bad example. But in Mane, the example of Mane, when Liverpool signed him for thirty-three or thirty-four million, whatever it was, me and you were like, we want you wanted him for Mane, United. I wanted him for Liverpool. We talked yeah. about him for a couple of years, but most people thought, oh, I don't know about this guy. You know, coming from Southampton or whatever. Mm-hmm. But Klopp had a, had this player particularly in mind. And with Van yeah. Dijk, you know, people were like, you can get the late, you can get the ballet when when the whole. Van Dijk transfer fell apart the first time but Klopp had this in mind so obviously it's a combination of everything and mm-hmm. you know you see when Coutinho goes to another team it doesn't quite fit in um, yeah. you know what I mean so yeah, it's it's true. all it's all part of the process all part of the, the project but Jordan Henderson is definitely like an important part if he, if, you, if, he, if he's out of the team for an extended period you'll, you'll notice more how much he kind of knits the, knits the team together yeah, he's uh But the Liverpool have more talented and better players. Like in general, Allison, this Allison, Allison better is as well. Absolutely brilliant. Roberts, like his, Robertson better than him. Like um, Allison is is Firmino. just his footwork is phenomenal. Like it's it's hard to notice that like um like if you're not watching week in week out, but he makes like really difficult saves or saves that like for example uh, De Gea wouldn't make anymore uh, look simple. 
Like, you know what I mean? He makes him look just simple. Poor man's Dean um, Henderson is all he is. He's what? He's a poor man's Dean Henderson. That's what he is. <laughs> I think it's Ederson. I think the man who doesn't actually save shots. Oh, I love Ederson. Ederson's my favourite goalkeeper in the world. I just, the way he kicks the ball is just so brilliant. But anyway. Yeah, uh, but he, does, he, just, he, he needs to save the all shots every now and again. <laughs> nah, fuck that. Um, come here, last thing. Liverpool now, okay, they've won the league, but uh, Henderson... Mane, Salah, Van Dijk, except the FA Cup. All those players who I've mentioned there uh, are all and uh, uh, Salah, Mane, Van Dijk, Henderson, and I think for me, knows all over the age of twenty-eight. So this Liverpool team is has maybe another couple of years at the very, very top left. Wh- what do you do? Do you think like if I was a Liverpool fan now and I looked at what happened with Coutinho um, and the way they saw, like I would, I think I'd probably try to sell Salah in the next in the next year. And try to get another top player in, and maybe top work another bit of magic again, and cash in because you won't be able to cash in in, in two years' time. What what do you? But think how much money is Salah making around the world in just t- terms of like his star power and all that stuff for the club? Yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah, maybe you cash in on Mane, so, but I, I think Mane is a better no, player, and I think no, Salah Mane's is injured. In the system is 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 vital as well. Like he. Yeah. I, I, like you know, twenty eight, but these guys, you know, for basically in their primes now. So it's like you know, if you can try and get the the more of the kind of Minamino type player who's 25 uh, approximately. Like we're kind of Liverpool are kind of missing the the in between players. They have like young players coming through, like kind of, mm-hmm. but then they're kind of missing the the early twenty mid twenties guys. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we definitely Liverpool definitely need to make some some signings there or maybe maybe there's some players that we don't expect to be as good but Klopp thinks they can do jobs in, in systems like obviously uh, uh, people like Rian Brewster uh, mm-hmm. at Swansea is doing quite well I think he scored two goals the other day there again um, so like maybe somebody like that you know but maybe that will take time needing another loan but like uh, basically like from what Klopp's done before he, he, like his re- record is in safe hands like you know when he when he identifies somebody he wants or some problem he wants to fix in the system he seems to be him and the team seem to be very good at uh, at finding the correct player to fill that that spot so I, I, w- I wouldn't be too worried do you think Klopp will stay for another five or six years well he'll stay till the end of his contract anyway I think and uh, I can see that? him stay um, he signed it what um, I think it's 2024 alright oh yeah so he's another few years on him yeah, yeah. Be interesting to see if he can build another team because that, like, that's a lot. Lots of managers have been able to build like one, you know, good team. Um, and obviously he's done it in Dortmund as well. But very, very few managers have been able to like a Ferguson have built a few teams or like a Pep Guardiola have been able to build a few title winning teams. So he's going to need to do that if he stays for another four but years. He's done that Dortmund on a string on a shoestring budget yeah, and with is, all yeah. his players being signed by the the, the big rival Bayern Munich. So mm-hmm. and he's done it with Liverpool on a. Like you know, the sixth le- least net spend Premier League. So, he, he, like, Financial you know, he could pretty much walk into whatever job he wanted probably after this if he wanted to leave, and the the funds would be there to to make the team he wants. So, either way, he says Liverpool or leaves after a few years. I, I, I like you know, he's not too old. I see him being successful. Yeah. Right, and anything else, Graham? Before we, uh, before we go, any you haven't rubbed it in my face enough. I feel, I feel like you. Well, I think, I think though, like I don't know. I always say that you always say, "Oh, the Liverpool fans are worse." I think it's just when, when there's like a, you know, I probably think that about Man United fans as well. But yeah. you, you kind of the, the things that you see as an opposition fan are the the, the stupid things from the stupid fans, uh, or not the stupid fans, but the like you know trolls or the yeah. the people who are just fucking angry at something that happened in a match or so. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, they're blinded by their their clubs. Their 
club's colours. Yeah. But um, I think most Liverpool fans just, it's not about rubbing his faces. It's about enjoying it finally. For like, it's, they don't really, Liverpool fans aren't really too bothered about, you know, the other fans. Mm, I don't know. Obviously, don't know. There's, obviously, there's people like the vocal minority, but if you're like, uh, I think like, you know, obviously when, when, when a team wins something, there's obviously going to be, you're going to get some messages, but I, I, I doubt you got like a, well, maybe you did, but I doubt you got loads of like making fun of your messages. I, I, see, I struck first and I wished them all well. And <laughs> I, I, every Liverpool fan I knew, I said, like, congratulations, that's fair play to you, well done. And then I went on the attack. So that was, I, I had the tactics going in there. So I got it in before they got to me. So you didn't get that much uh, abuse? No, I, no. no. Yeah. I, 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 did, I feel like I did a good job of trolling them. But, uh, but like, even when Liverpool win like the Champions League or the whatever, like it, I don't think it's. I think the narrative of of oh, uh, the first Champions League not. in two thousand and five. Like the, I, I think now because Liverpool are good, it's actually not as bad because kind of everyone was expecting it. But the one in two thousand and five, there was a lot of it then because we were like, oh, we won the Champions League, and it was kind of like Liverpool fans were even <laughs> even a bit shocked, like because they were so shit. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> It was who was the striker? It was fucking Milan Barros and Cesar back then. It wasn't even Torres yet, was it? When you won then? Yeah, I know it was Milan Barros. Yeah, <laughs> legend. Where's he from? Czech Republic. Liverpool. Yeah. Used, Liverpool used to love lads who had like one good World Cup or European didn't, didn't Championship. And like two, didn't he play like? He, I think his first game for Liverpool when after he signed was like in the reserves and he scored five goals and then. When he was coming back from injury, he then he got promoted to the first team obviously, and then he got injured and come back when he scored five goals again in the reserves. Yeah. And did he score even 10 goals for Liverpool in his whole career, I wonder? A Champions League winner. Yeah, he was, the, Jimmy, the Jimmy and the boys. Do you know, uh, Cesar was some man for running for corner flags, wasn't he? <laughs> you just get the ball. And he, no, he's... Uh, I've never seen miles offside. offside like, yeah. Constantly, well. <laughs> I've never seen anyone as infuriating, offside. infuriating player. Like, not even trying to say... Like, you know, you see, you see that ball uh, Salah played from Mane on the, the, the last goal against Palace where he bent his run. Like, yeah. uh, Cesar doesn't even, doesn't even no. attempt <laughs> ever. Just full steam out. Like he's one of the stupidest players to ever play the game without a shadow of it out like but But he had like a lot of raw potential there. Yeah, like you could see good, why yeah. like it, there was a chance taken on him, you know, but it just I don't know, some yeah. I don't know, he just seemed a bit crazy as well, like with the haircuts and the kept snapping his leg as well, didn't he? He snapped his leg like three times, didn't he? Yeah, against Blackburn, I think the first time was that was really nasty. Yeah, once you do that, it's, I suppose that it, it is it is hard it's to come back, yeah. especially when you're a pace merchant. Yeah, that's very true. Right, thank you, Graham. Congratulations, oh, yeah. champions, champions of everything. We're never going to stop. <laughs> but yeah, I won't get into. But like, is it a bit shitty for Liverpool that you had like you kind of admitted there you had the league one in like November or whatever. But now your season is over. Like you're out of the Champions League, out of the FA Cup. Well, like I definitely think, like you know, though, if for example Liverpool had won it on the last day of last season against Wolves when Man City played Brighton, Mm -hmm. it would have been like a bigger explosion because it was the uncertainty there and like you didn't have time to accept it and it's it's you know it's it's so much more uncertain so i know what you mean but like you probably experienced it with man united mm-hmm. like or man city fans like that aguero goal is obviously in the moment or whatever is so much more exciting and thrilling and mm-hmm. exhilarating than winning it over time but the the complete domination is very very satisfying yeah but like no but i'm saying like are you kind of sad that you're not in any of the cups like do you give up on all the rest of them like basically apart from getting whooped by atletico well we won the the super cup and the the world the world cup so don't worry about that plenty of cups yeah, it's just been a, like the important a, ones a disgusting just the champions league the champions league is obviously a, dis- a dis- disappointing one but uh 
you know, these oh, things yeah. happen and in the, football. They were all giving out about the Atletico fans coming over for that spreading coronavirus. And now they win the league and they all thousands them out in the fucking street. Fuck's sake. Typical Liverpool, isn't it? <laughs> right, go on. <laughs> I've, I've no inspiration quote. Have you any, like, quote there, Graham, that you want to give us an inspiration quote? I forgot to look one up. Have you any, like, Liverpool yeah, quote? Yeah, go on, I'll do it. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Follow Graham, at Severe Mammy, at Sean Sheehan BA. And all that's left to do is give the inspirational quote of the week. You'll never walk alone. We'll see you next Tuesday. Probably Sunday. <laughs>